Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. This is uh, recording live at the Heartbreak Hotel. Um, where my, my heart is broken, splintered into various pieces because I've had a very bad week. Uh, figuring out who's bad has been a very serious <laughs> challenge for me. Mm. It might be Billy Jean. Mm. Uh, it might be, might be Ben. Oh, Ben. The mouse, remember? Yeah, yeah. I never can say goodbye. I I, I I honestly don't like this. I literally thought there was one of the kids together. (laughs) It was called Ben. The titles of various... I just thought it was that bear. Jackson-related songs. My name is Camille Foster. I do various things at a place called Freethink, and um, I am delighted to be be here with you today. Little down in the dumps, but hopefully I will be cheered up because I am surrounded by... A panel of panel? astoundingly esteemed journalistic titans, mm. Matthew Welch. Oh, what the yeah, hell he, was that? So he peaked. Was, yeah. When Fisher came in, I'm like, oh, it's cool because Camille's, something in Camille's Adderall peaked five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. But like it's now the downslope. It's just like, I'm happy. Matthew, to be Matthew Welch, with editor at large, Reason Magazine, Michael Moynihan, national contributor for HBO's Vice News Tonight or Vi- Vice News Tonight on HBO, whatever. <laughs> what is, how many milligrams do you take today? I don't know. Not enough. Apparently. Too many. I don't yeah. know. And Anthony Fisher, who he does things at Insider, he's the politics editor over there. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't uh, say he's the host of Inside Edition, <laughs> <laughs> which is when uh, Bill O'Reilly did it live. Yeah, that's right. Did it live. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, it's good to be here with you guys. Yeah. It's good to be able to go through tough times together. How the hell are you? I mean, I'm fine. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know you were having a tough time. Did it not occur to you that Michael Jackson might have a problem with, with the boys? Well, I mean, we until can, like we yesterday, talk you talk well, about we can talk about that. We can talk about that. I only just realized that he's singing to Annie and not Eddie in Smooth Criminal for oh, 30 wow. years. I thought it was are Eddie. You are you okay? Yeah. yeah. Have you had your ears checked? I, no. I mean, I mean, there's pretty, even pretty like, you, okay? you can't oh, understand a thing he's saying. Shit, that's are like, you kidding? Annie, are you? Even there's the back in the background. I thought he was saying, Eddie, is you okay? Did you see Moonwalker? I did, yeah. And you know, there's like the whole thing where it's like, it's acapella. There's never any young girls in his world. It's always boys. (laughs) None of his songs are addressed to boys. He's talking about girls all the time. He said, the the girl is mine. Oh, no, no, the the songs, yeah. But they're just not in the video. It's convincing. (laughs) Really convincing. I fell fell for it for (laughs) years. I was like, yeah, he must have fallen in love with Elvis. He's got a song song called In the Closet, right? There was Naomi Campbell in that video. Yeah, but that's, I mean... He's keep the whole relationship in yeah, the closet. I bet. Not your... Behind two doors. Sexuality. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Too soon. Oh, I think... It, Not I, soon enough. I, I don't know if we want to... St- yes, <laughs> we, do. we do. We do. <laughs> do you want to start with this? I mean, well, we're not, so sad. This is the thing. Okay, so here's not, the thing. Here's what I'm going to say. Go we it. might want to start with this because, you know, I think that no matter how much our dear, beloved listeners who are... Um, very active in telling us what they think. About <laughs> if you say something that the listeners don't like, you know, they shoot up a flare mm-hmm. and uh, I get 7,000 fucking Instagram messages. True, true fact. <laughs> it's, true. So, yeah. yeah true Instagram. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I, despite that, like, I don't think anyone really wants to talk about Robert Mueller anymore or Michael Cohen or things like that. At a minimum, so, we could wait to do that. We could wait to do the, that. And I think that out. it might be 
that people out there would appreciate starting with MJ. Yeah. Um, and we will start by saying, of course, we're referencing the HBO uh, documentary Touching Neverland, um, <laughs> which not that, what, that was what it's called. It's also not called? Finding Neverland, which what if you it? went looking for this yeah, yeah. particular film yeah. and you, you were saying, yeah. oh, it's Finding Neverland. It's, it's not that. Yeah, that it's leaving Neverland. Leaving, leaving um, Neverland. So, <laughs> so here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing I feel bad about. Yeah. <laughs> I talked about this before we started. So, you know, I don't think I had the exact same reaction as everybody else watching that hmm. movie. Everyone was like, man, that's pretty intense. We should we should point yeah. out that Camille yeah. like tweeted into the into the ether yeah. out of out of desperation and sadness. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think I think it was the, he did it. Is that what you said? Yeah, it totally, didn't reference I believe anything. He totally did it. Totally he did. totally did it. He totally did it. That's like the name of the OJ book. If I did it, if, <laughs> if I, I totally did it, and some of our listeners were like, "Oh no, oh no, Camille isn't like going for the narrative here instead yeah. of the evidence." Yeah, I no, actually, it's just yeah. Well, let's go. Yeah. Right. So, so I think there's something. Uh, here's my take on this yeah. in a one sentence. Yeah, I think MJ's guilty, but they're lying. Does hmm. that make sense? Yeah. I mean, so you can frame I, a guilty man. I, I mean, you can frame a guilty man. I think that he's clearly a complete weirdo, hmm. which is, the evidence for that is listening to him talk. So if you've ever heard Michael Jackson talk, Jeez. it's not the it's not the the timber of his voice. It's the things that he says, the fact that he named his kid Blanket, you know, things like that. And he's hanging him over the he's Blanket and he's hanging him over the fucking, you know, in Berlin. Like it's that, but he's like throws him off the Brandenburg Gate. It's insane. <laughs> so. I think that, like, you know, it is a little weird <laughs> that you're sleeping with eight-year-olds in your bed. And everyone's like, you know, he just he didn't have a childhood. It's like, I know, I know a lot of people. Ricky Schroeder didn't have a childhood. Yeah. I don't think he's hanging out with seven-year-olds. I don't know. I'm not accusing him. Neil but Patrick I know his Harris. daughter doesn't like him by the Ricky Schroeder. I read that in the Daily Mail. Um, so all oh, this stuff, really? like, but I think at the same time, there was just something. Did anyone get the sense? And then I dug in a little bit. We'll talk about that later. But did anyone get the sense that just some, some stuff with one of those witnesses in particular didn't add up? My problem was Soul it. Patch Guy. So I, I watched. Was that, was that the choreographer or the other guy? Choreographer. Choreographer, choreographer had his stuff like totally together. Like yeah. he was buttoned down. He yeah. was the first one. He's the guy who testified on, in, on behalf of Michael Jackson twice in a civil case when he was 11 or 12. And then again, when he was an adult uh, yeah. at age 22, 21, um, and uh, and those were key bits of testimony. And he showed up Michael Jackson's funeral and was and and like made a public statement uh, about how what a, a wonderful man he was. And then mm-hmm. according to and he was, you know, all but I, you know, I found him com- totally convincing on and like the family story and his terrible mother, terrible, terrible Australian mother. Uh, well, yeah, that's the weird thing because he's Australian and and halfway through he stops being Australian. Uh, but like kind of like Carrie yeah. Fisher in Star Wars. Yeah, mm-hmm. but the other thing is like the sister. If you haven't seen this, just watch it. But it's still interesting if you haven't seen it. His sister who's stopping Australian and sounds like she's from Staten Island. Though. Yeah. Although, Isn't that weird? Yeah, super, every, every, every once in a while, colors. on the ends, the words that yeah. end in N, you can hear the Australian. Can't believe it. Let him yeah. sleep in the bed. Not a problem. <laughs> Lovely. Great guy. Dancing. Touching. <laughs> Loved it. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, but this is like the mom is a monster. But they, 
don't uh, I started to get suspicious. I, I watched the last half hour of the first episode and then the, the full go in the second episode. So I, like the Australian mother, I learned during the Oprah postgame interview uh, with some the, the mother of the guy didn't like fast forwarded through the sexy bits like she didn't want to hear about the touching and exactly where in the room. She so like, didn't much. want to deal with so so I, I didn't actually see those either. Yeah. So I only saw this other, other bit. But um, it was weird that they didn't really talk about the fact that he testified on behalf of Michael Jackson. Until the second episode. Uh-huh. So we already watched half of a, of a thing. And then the other thing that, that started to, to, to make me worry about it is that you would see the same slowly panned shots of West L.A. But and, how did they get Neverland. the drone into Netherlands? They got the drone did, into Netherlands. Did, 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 did owned by the, the, city, the state now? No. Because, I mean, it, it, was, I, it, it, was like the, it was like the Spider-Man cartoon <laughs> when we were kids, or at least when I was a yeah, kid. They're calling it the Sycamore Valley diapers. Ranch. It's been on okay. the market for years. It was the, They would show yeah. the same thing, and you started to realize, like, okay, we didn't get to a rule of three here. The famous journalism rule of three. If you have three anecdotes or whatever, then you have a, a, enough of a pattern or a trend to write about. It's a rule of two. It's two uh, cases of, of, of people whose lives are totally wrecked. Uh, by uh, Michael Jackson and their families were totally wrecked by Mac- Michael Jackson. I totally believe that that happened uh, to them, but it's two people. Um, and the one guy uh, was influenced by seeing the other guy testify. And I want to know about those other like 95 kids who are yeah. at, at the ranch. And well, we didn't you know, really Macaulay Culkin, the great Macaulay Culkin, who yeah. was in a band where every song was about pizza. I don't know if you remember that. Um, <laughs> it's true, actually. Yeah. Uh, he claims that he never, he never um, uh, was 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 uh, touched by Michael same Jackson. Same with Corey Feldman. Yeah. Corey Feldman, same way. Mm-hmm. A few other kids say the same thing. The last case, the one that he was actually arrested for, the family is very, very dodgy mm-hmm. and had tried to extort people in the past. All that stuff seems relevant, relevant to me because it's not a time issue. This is the thing, like the rule of three thing. I'm also listening currently to a BBC World Service <laughs> podcast, which is, you know, only 10 episodes, 10 hours so far about uh, Ruben Hurricane Carter and how he's the best and totally innocent. And they don't really make time for all the uh, counter evidence. And it just, I don't, I can't imagine making a film or a podcast like that. It's just so boring. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I noticed, I read the kid's deposition because I'm a complete freak and I watched it and I was like, yeah, I just watched spent four hours watching about Michael Jackson. And so I put off the wall on, took my shirt off, <laughs> read a deposition. It still holds up. I mean, it's yeah. the best record. Off the wall is good. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's a so very, good. very good record. Yeah. God, he's so good. He's, so he's good. the best. Damn it. He's good. Yeah. Off the wall is a great record. And there's a thing in it and I can't, I have to look this up, but the kid, the, the, the prosecutor asked, um, how many nights to the, to the, uh, the dancer guy there, how many nights did you stay at, at Neverland over? And he's like, oh yeah. And I stayed at a bunch and I can't remember what the actual answer was, but it was something like 10 or 15. And, um, but in this like three year period and watching the thing, I was like, didn't he just live there? It really struck me that the kid was like living there, but there is a fantastic moment where Michael Jackson, apparently, according to the mom says, I want, I want him to stay with me. I want him. I want him to move in here. And she's like, are you kidding? This is my kid. And she's like, yeah, I know, but I want him to stay here. And she's like, okay, I'll split him with you. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? I think it's a, I think it's a great film about the, about how psychotic showbiz moms are. Oh yeah. yeah. It's insane. Yeah. These people are insane. And they, I don't know if they think that they came out of this film looking good and Michael Jackson came out looking bad. 
it, it, Michael Jackson came out looking bad and they came out looking really bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we knew Michael Jackson was a weirdo. And that, you know, when they raided his house, found like this porn and there was like a book about boys and there was some adult straight porn too. But so there's like, you know, some suggestive stuff in there, none of illegal. But, you know, there's a suggestive talk. I want to talk about a, a Camille's emotional journey. You were convinced by this, this narrative uh, nonfiction. No. So Uh-oh. let's, we should, we should dial it back a little bit. They should have also mentioned the kid tried to get a job with uh, Michael Jackson's estate doing a Cirque du Soleil thing, directing it and, and, and choreographing it after oh, the MJ Michael died. Jackson Cirque du Soleil show. Yeah. He tried to, the, the choreographer tried to get the I job. Mean, he leveraged oh, wow. And, and there's, there's email traffic and everything. And then I think later in testimony, he claimed that he didn't even know that his estate existed. So there's some weird stuff in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Again, I think he's, guilty yeah <laughs> seems pretty clear it's, but but it's also some weird stuff with these guys so i'm a child of the 80s and watching watching the beginning of this show and i i say this because i've discovered today you know i have people that work at freethink who are old enough to work like full-time and live on their own and and who were born in like the late 1990s and do not remember michael jackson sort of the zenith of his power fire them but like watching the the clips of him performing on stage you get almost a, a bit of a chill if you were the sort of young person who was wrapped up in all of his music when he was the biggest star on the planet. Like the people throwing up and fainting and dying because the guy just showed up on stage and grabbed his crotch or at least his belt buckle or whatever he grabbed. He was a huge cultural influence. And for me, like as a young person, I mean, I had all the records. He's a huge part of my life as well. And even today, like we'll have parties and you play Michael Jackson music. It's safe. It's something that everyone appreciates in the same sort of way, at least did up until recently. And for the most part, like allegations of sexual misconduct, you just kind of tune them out and not have to pay any attention to them. And you buy into the narrative immediately. Well, of course, they're just lying because they want to get money. He's a little strange. It's fine. And I, I remember the seeing him with children all the time. And I remember watching him explain, no, you know, people are ignorant if they dislike That's the fact ignorant. that I'm sleeping <laughs> in the same bed as children. And I just remember kind of tuning all of that out. Because Rock With You is amazing mm-hmm. and wonderful. It's a weird it, thing to tune out. It sort of touch it, dude. It but, is totally weird. By to the tune time out. he was doing Dangerous, but I'm not. There's less yeah, excuses to be made for it, him, perhaps. But but you have those sure. reference points. Yeah. I honestly never reckoned with the fact that there was a tremendous amount of evidence that this man had built what is perhaps the most extravagant, ornate audacious pedophile playground in the history of mankind. That's and, a bit of a hard and, 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 and was and was doing it. There's a candy store. Everyone's it's free. In front of everyone's eyes. It's a fucking chimp. I mean it was a grooming factory with a chimp. Astounding. I mean it's astounding. And and I think that that revelation like stood out to me. And and quite frankly, before I watched the film, I went and just 
started doing the the reading and the research, yeah. like genuinely taking an interest in the allegations enough to try and figure out what is true and but what you know, isn't that, here, true. Here, and this yeah. is the thing. It's not a function of yeah. whether or not I thought those two men's testimony was credible. I think yeah. the point is, it's the things that we know for a fact. And the things that we know for a fact is he was sleeping in the bed with children. He admitted yeah, and there, yeah. he was there very open are, yeah. there, there was a young man who attested yeah. to the blemishes on his genitalia. And then you found it on there in the foot photographs yeah, that the police had. Maybe so. He was spotty everywhere. Yeah, they said he, they, the, yeah. I, again, obviously I haven't seen both things, both the yeah. drawing and the photos afterwards. Yeah. How are you really? I got, I've, I've yeah. you've got copies on your computer. Yeah. Don't show he me. He was not Don't show alone. Me. <laughs> Don't yeah. show me. But the problem is, here's the problem is that why and then the material you also referenced yeah, sure. to his people who worked for him, who attested to, yep. to some of the dodgy things taking place, yeah. including seeing him in the shower with boys. Yeah. The, the yeah. well-known at this point established fact, which I didn't know. But the alarm bells in the floor when you approach his doors like these, these things are incredibly damning and it's mm. circumstantial. But again, it doesn't require me to believe or not believe the things that these two men are saying in order to reach the conclusion that something very strange happened here. The problem is uh, with these people is that if you're Michael Jackson, you're that rich, you are possibly at the time, the most famous person in the world, one of the most famous people in the world. Absolutely. And you get like a lottery draw as a random family in Australia. And your kid's like not even that good of a dancer, by the way, at the beginning. Um, he's just like- kinda, He learns, he picks. I mean, he learned, he learned, but it took him a little bit. It's like, <laughs> thank you for choreographing Joey Fatone's <laughs> routine. It's Thanks, of, man. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, man. kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's kind of a big deal. But so, so you know, his thing is like the type of people- that allow their kids to do things like that and allow all this to happen. And that's including the ones that sued previously, Jordy Chandler or whatever the guy's name was that sued um, and then settled out of court. Uh, his father was like taped saying, we're going to take this guy down. And then he killed himself. And he was like a, he was like a dentist, I think to the stars. Um, the, the problem is, is that all that can happen, right? But the credibility of these people is always in question because to do that, to allow your kid to sleep in bed with Michael Jackson for, well, while you're put on in the, in the bubbles cage, you know, you have to, Oakwood you, apartments for fucks. Sake. I, know, I, I yeah. lived in the Oakwoods for you, a few months. But you have, you have shit, to, man. like, you have to be somebody who, is a money grubber of, of, of some type, right? Or after something. Not normal people don't do that, right? These are these are the the kind of um, showbiz moms. <laughs> but and normal the, people the, aren't aren't given the opportunity to do that. If they would, then maybe they would. I, I don't think so. You, you don't I, think I, there's I, any. There's, you don't think there's any possibility. You want to ask my mother? No, if no, no. Let no, me no, stay in bed with asking. that guy. That's not what I'm asking. Kinda, That's not what I'm asking. Kinda, it's kinda not, do. because yeah. there's there's. She'd be the, like, what do you get? Fucking twenty dollars? Give it to me. Put me on the train that goes to. <laughs> but there's the prestige Ridiculous. and the power and all that other yeah. stuff and the money. But at the time, like the guy is is a cultural icon. But do you see he's how that, that he's calling you attracts at, grifters he's calling sure. you at yeah. your house. Yeah. He's calling. He's sending faxes. This important person thinks you're you, important. I want you to too. spend your yeah, day like, like, with you. A lot of the first parents. I don't know that. I don't know that. People You're going to answer that phone. If that's you, for that. 
If that's you, even if you love him yeah. and your daughter is a son and a, little, a few years older, not many years older, but yeah, a few yeah. years older, and my was like, hey, Camille, can I talk? You'd be like, Again, I, mother, what? I Who would, are you? I, I would know. never. No. I would never. No. I think that, that Chappelle's, the Chappelle show sketch it's, where he's it's like, amazing. On, yes, where he's on the stand, <laughs> where he's on the stand and he's defending so Michael. And then he's asked if he would permit his children to sleep in the bed yeah. with Michael. And he says, hell no. Yeah. This, these, these are my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. But I can identify yeah. with the characters. Again, I'm not defense. I'm not saying MJ. that these people are lying. I think they're maybe plumping up certain parts of it. Um, you know, I, I had that feeling at the end where he's like talking to Michael and he goes upstairs, goes goes to bed, and he's like drugged out and you know dies soon thereafter. And you're like, wait a second, he has contact with him in, up, up until that point, number one, when he's like an adult. And then I was thinking, like, why is he leaving this guy here alone with these children who are his children, quote unquote? I mean, when he knows he's been raped, you know, and he's that this is a sexual predator. Why is he allowing that? That's I mean, to me, that's and, and I get that people process things in weird ways, uh-huh. when you're victims, et cetera. But the only thing that I'm saying is that when you look at the testimony, the last one, this family I can't remember the family's name, the, the one where he was arrested. I mean, it, it's they. This was the kid with uh, cancer. Yeah. Was it Kevin Hart who said that he had been like they had been like hustling him? There was all these celebrities that were like, yeah, it was like hustling me and like pressuring me for money. Gavin Arvizo. Yeah, Arvizo. And mm. like, um, you know, and the Jordy Chandler kid, when it came to testify and that took off, he didn't want to testify. So he flew to Europe and said, no way. It's like everything's a bit weird about all of it. So. Nothing straightforward about it. Again, the instinct—I have nothing but instinct in this because there's—I don't think there's any physical evidence, no. right? But I mean, one—I no. think you both can be right on this, and yeah. I, I think that the parents are absolutely awful. And They're it, monsters. And I, I, I told you guys that the thing that I found most interesting was just l- watching the pathologies of these parents, and you see how they were justifying it to themselves even decades later, and then watching them kind of fall apart mm. as the narrative changed. But a big pedophile thing is to seduce the families as well, yeah. to, uh-huh. to build trust, whether it's a, a priest, a coach, you know, a, a mentor of any kind. So this is all, 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 all of that stuff was all of that stuff, not not only believable, like the documentary evidence of it, like the bizarro faxes and the audio. Oh, my the God. The audio to is the house. chilling. It is fucking creepy. It's Applehead. It's yeah. fucking creepy. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. it's way over the top. And it is impossible to find a way for me to find a way to rationalize that is anything but this depraved man. Yeah. The the way that it's rationalized. And again, I don't, I don't necessarily believe this, but it's, you know, the the argument is is something essentially this is that he is mentally ill and he never grew up and never had a childhood and is in this and was abused himself and was in this arrested kind of development. And so when you hear that and you see those facts is you basically see somebody who has the kind of emotional capacity of a seven year old and having that capacity is somebody who doesn't sexualize any of these situations, but thinks it's like a friend sleepover. This is the way the narrative plays, right? I don't b- believe this, but I think it's completely insane. No, it's absurd. But, but the, and, and that when you have a hundred of these people, you're going to have three or four 
who have families who like move into Neverland and want to get be part of it. And then, and then are spurned for Macaulay Culkin, which you see in the movie. And then ultimately he was like they, a serial monogamist. Yeah. And they don't, they, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was I mean, one kid at a time. Yeah. Then Jeez. he, what? Seriously. You give him credit for that. Sorry. 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 But, but, um, you know, it's also kind of curious that this all happens when, when, uh, after he's dead, you know, so all that stuff is enough fodder for the Jacko nutbags. And good God, I looked at that hashtag. So bad. MJ oh, Innocent. MJ Innocent. Dude, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. There's some famous people on there, too. I, I, I don't I mean, doubt it. Spike Lee was a little standing in, wasn't it? He, he was, Spike's not on Twitter anymore, but uh, in a recent interview, because he did the, uh, the Bad 25 documentary or something like that, he uh, said the narrative has been hijacked. And in this documentary, I'm trying to bring it back to the music, the genius, the real legacy of Michael Jackson. Can I just so say never really addressed the, it. the very worst part of the documentary for me and the point at which I had to stop. Well, I had to stop it twice. I mean, the first time was <laughs> the fifth or sixth time that he was performing bad on stage. And you just kept hearing these lyrics over and over again. Who's bad? Who's really, bad? Like, really it's like bad. he's taunting you. <laughs> the filmmaker is taunting you. He's bad, bad. Really, really. I get it. I get it. He's bad. He's yeah. bad. And he did the thing. And you asked who's bad. And I know who's bad now. And it's you. Mm. You were the one who was bad. The second time I had to stop it was when they were doing the graphic description of uh, what happened to them, which was just like uh, a fucking gut punch. But so the question I'm is, still, Camille, I'm still sad. Do you play off the wall? Uh-huh. Next time you have a party. Well, this house. is the question. This is the question about cancel culture. Perhaps <laughs> we switch gears yes. a little bit here. I don't understand how this is supposed to work. Is it that everything in the oeuvre is unacceptable now? Yes. Or is it everything, everything. post no. allegations no. of misconduct? No, no, no. Everything. But he hadn't done anything Doesn't matter. when he was with the Same Jackson person. 5. Doesn't matter. He hadn't done anything. BBC Radio with 2. Billy Jean was not his lover. Apparently. As, I, I guess there's some dispute about this. But, no, B- but Radio, Radio 2, BBC has stopped playing his music entirely. They didn't say, oh, you know, can we find out the first day? Never can say goodbye. Somebody... Can't play that anymore. You can't find Woody yeah. Allen's Bananas on Netflix anymore. Yeah. That's well before the album. I mean, it's, it's yeah. not a euphemism. That's yeah. an actual film. Well, no. no it's, <laughs> you know, it's a very popular the, thing. Yeah. The young, uh, the pretty young boys don't allow me to hear a pretty young thing anymore. I mean, it's like literally been can't. I mean, that so is radio, a little tough. Ra- radio stations. But pretty young things should be safe. PYT. PYT. Yeah. Because this is before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe. It who is knows? before. Well, who knows? Ba- uh, who knows? He could have paid people up. You this is before any of these allegations. These allegations. It, appeared, itself, it but- appeared to be between thriller and bad that the change happened right around the time his hair caught on fire. Here's the thing, though, about all that. I was uh, that, could, that could mess you up. I was uh, a lot uh, of pain pills. <laughs> having a uh, an, an email conversation with a colleague who shall remain nameless, but uh, talking about why is it that Me Too hadn't managed to cancel the entire 1970s? <laughs> uh, you know, Led Zeppelin, uh, uh, she brought up David Bowie, and I said, oh, Moynihan has a different idea about that gal in, in Texas, etc. But there is some truth to that. Like, like pop rock music in the 1970s is just nothing but an absolute filth bucket of crazy stories involving prepubescent or pubescent girls and like fish and hotel rooms. And it's just terrifyingly awful. It's, you know, Rolling Stones had a billboard right in, in, uh, in Times Square going through the black and blue billboard mm-hmm. where like uh, women were like tied up and they were actually like beaten up black and blue. 
Wow. Um, well, think about think about Almost Famous was an, a movie about that very culture, but it was nostalgic. It, it was, was nostalgic. like cute. Kate, Kate Hudson's supposed to be 15 Ten years ago. Yeah. 10 years ago, there's no way that could come out now. Mm-hmm. So like, it's interesting that that hasn't. And so I was uh, talking with this uh, millennialish uh, uh, colleague and, uh, and like well, trying to figure out why hasn't it happened. And one of my just making it up on the fly kind of theories was that it's too much. Like there's too much music you would have to get rid of. People aren't ready to, to jettison Led Zeppelin yeah. over this because you need a little like uh, you need a little physical graffiti in your life. But it's, like, it's you, also because you can't pretend you didn't know. Right. I mean, Harvey Weinstein comes and for for us mere mortals who don't get the Hollywood gossip, apparently it was well known within Hollywood or those rumors were percolating for a long time. Is that everyone knew that Bill Wyman, the bass player of the Rolling Stones, married a 14 or 15 year old. Or everyone that Jerry Lee Lewis married, Elvis, married his 14 year old cousin. You know, that, that, that Jimmy Page was dating a 15 year old, too. And, you know, there's songs about it. And it's like, OK, the you're culture 16. Is, yeah, yeah. You're beautiful. Think about that, like Lisa Marie Presley, but, the ex Mrs. Michael Jackson, who I know, mother was 15, I think, or 14 when Elvis yeah. took her away from home yeah i mean it's not it's in again it's not to say that that's okay i mean those are not shifting stand i mean we those standards should have been applied at the time (laughs) should have been like that's actually crazy and weird and wrong but you know it's also the thing that i think i talked to somebody i think i told you this story one time um i was in uh mexico and uh in mexico city and i ran into um, a, uh, we, I was with a friend and we ran into a friend of theirs, um, who throughout the night, it, it revealed itself to me that this person's parent was a very famous uh, musician. Um, she said who the person was. I was completely gobsmacked <laughs> and I looked at her and I was like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. Mm. And, um, it, and it was right around the time of, of this me too stuff was coming out. And she said to me, she said, you know, it's so crazy that like, I know that that my father could could get caught up in this, you know, because God knows backstage when they were one of the biggest bands in the world Mm -hmm. that, you know, sold out stadiums. You know, he wasn't married to my mom at the time. And her mom, I think, came out of that kind of universe, met in that kind of way. I think she was a model or something like that. But. You know, we started talking about this idea of of bands. And, you know, it's funny because the joke at the table was that was why you became a musician. That's why you want to be famous. Not so people would get inspiration from your lyrics and like, you know, go and live a, a, a fruitful life and a moral life. It was that and to get money and chicks. And that's not, a, I mean, everyone knows that, right? And so uh, the way in which that's happening is backstage drugs, drinking, et cetera. And I don't think those are great situations for anybody when you look back at it. And, you know, the, it used to be a thing in, you know, the, the Led Zeppelin stuff, which was in that that um, ridiculous book, Hammer of the Gods. Right. And is, there's like the mud shark incident. Everybody knows this stuff, right? The mud shark incident. And you can look that up if you have to. Don't. I don't. Um, it's kind of- but it was kind of a, it was always a joke. And, you know, it's kind of gross. But it was also, the, the, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, Claude Renault coming into Rick's and saying you can't believe there's gambling going on here. Well, you know? here's, a, here's a, a thought, and I won't belabor the point because we're four dudes sitting around a table talking about um, bad behavior. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, if you read what, what's one, what is the best? I'll just, I'll, I'll puzzle Moynihan on this. Yeah. What is the best uh, memoir mm. of that period of rock and roll, of groupie culture and rock and roll in the 1970s? Pamela Despars. 
Absolutely right. Yeah. Absolutely right. I'm yeah. with a band by Pam- Pamela Despard. It's, it's a wonderful yeah. book. And who is going to say? I ran she- into her husband, by the way, at <laughs> Michael. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who I've got? Yeah, he's amazing. You've got what? He's he used to play in like Power Station. Did you? Yeah, know? yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, was, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Robert but like, Palmer's group. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But and he's, uh, he was a, it's like saying in like almost famous. There is agency. There is there is uh, there are decisions being made by. I mean, there's there's even a pecking order of groupies. And like if there's really like naive, you know, 15 year olds sure. coming in, you know, they're stiffing our stiff arming them and saying, hey, yeah. look, no, like you're you're out of your depth here. Here's how you do things and that kind of stuff um, that shouldn't be you know, thrown out uh, or discounted as we are retelling these horror stories of the 1970s. So like the, the cancel culture question is like, at what point do you th- throw these people out? And, and, and for me, and I, 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 I think this is more of a radical position than where the culture is right now is that you don't, you don't, I, I can't think, no. I mean, I, I wasn't listening to R. Kelly anyways. I, I, I presume You're he's a total. Missing out. I, 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 yeah, I miss out on like. James Brown beat the hell out of women forever. I, there was know, a, like a story a, about James Brown a month ago that like didn't cause a ripple in which he maybe ordered a hit on his ex-wife and then maybe was murdered as a result. And people like shrugged it off. Like this happened within the last month. Crazy. <laughs> but, but it's, I, I think it's, it's, think about this. it's interesting too. The R. Kelly thing True. is that. Is that you? You see that it's not a flood of information, but a cultural shift. I mean, those are different things because the R. Kelly stuff we knew about, right? It's totally known about the, the Bill Cosby. It's totally known about Bill Cosby. We knew about the, we knew about Bill Cosby. The yeah. number of women yeah. is, but we knew about the drugs. We knew about all that stuff. I mean, two thousand five. I think two thousand five yeah. to make make judgment. The stuff in the seventies, we knew all about that stuff. The David Bowie stuff that comes out. I mean, yeah. there was to Matt's to point is that how normalized it was in the past. That in the seventies in L.A. in the seventy seventy two and seventy three. There was a magazine, a short run magazine that had five issues called Star Magazine, S-T-A-R. And the Star Magazine was a groupie magazine for under like basically underage girls. And it was it was about not the bands, but about the girls that hung around with the bands. And there were like 15 year old girls. In the was cover. that the inspiration for Starfucker, the stone uh, song? I, yeah, well, that's, you know, also pretty, pretty literal. We're fucking stars. But you, you can see the covers, by the way, at star 1973.com. I just looked it up. But yeah, this stuff was used to be normal in the idea that, you know, oh, the John Wayne thing comes out. We're going to change the name of the airport in Orange County. Because of a resurfaced, yeah, there was, rediscovered it. thing that was right in front of your eyes. Of the Speaking Playboy of which, I mean, I have all these old Playboys from my grandpa, some of which I gave to Joanna yeah. and some which I, I keep here. Like, I could just cause cultural controversies every single day by looking at uh, Playboy Q&As from 1970 oh, yeah. and 1972 because they were long. That's back when people still Wait, had access. Matt, how did you get these from your grandpa? Did he actually give them to you? No, or you just kind of both found of them my grandfathers died yeah. uh, because I'm old. Uh, and uh, when they died, I grabbed as many Playboys as I could, <laughs> which is what well, I did said, when they were living. To I, be I, said. I love the fact that the grieving process is yeah. like, you are not. <laughs> you're like, I need, where is your pornography? That's the Literally, I mean, some people go looking for the pills, right? Yeah. You go look for the porn. Yeah. Porn or pills. Which one are you? So is is it is part <laughs> of the difference is part of the difference with Michael Jackson, like the ostensible ho- wholesomeness of the music. He was never and, wholesome. Well, no, this is not true. When he was a child and he was well, making music, he was all, of, a pimp all of that stuff he was awesome. was wholesome. He was, he was never wholesome. wholesome. He's grabbing his dick. And the two of us. Yeah, yeah it's wholesome. 
Say that you agree with me. But but there's something about a guy who had something called the World Council of Children who talked oh. openly and publicly about how he wants like to tell Jones the children of the thing. world. The World Council of... <laughs> you're all our children. Each of you is my children and I love you. Like, yeah. This is yeah. who the yeah. man was. This was part of the persona. Were For there to be children? allegations of... Were you one of his children? Of, apparently so. Dude, do, you, do you remember the... I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched Moonwalker. It's a lot. Like yeah. there's a, a pantheon of films I've watched a bunch of times. Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet is way up there near the top. Oh, Menace yeah. to Society Jesus. is shortly behind oh, that's that. That's great film. And then right behind that probably is Moonwalker. Mm. Like just, Moonwalker. I mean, multiple <laughs> versions of the tape yeah. on VHS because they busted in the Where's in the Colors? Is Colors up yeah. there? Colors isn't on the <laughs> Where's Night at the, the Rocks? Mountain Rushmore. Is that in there? Night at the Rocks? <laughs> I think I've gotten through half of I mean, not, yeah. not for yeah. nothing. Not really you know, my culture. Jerry Sandusky, yeah, Jerry Sandusky had a big charity for children. You know, this, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say that Everybody who's got a particularly passionate interest in helping children is a potential you, pedophile. You, 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 you actually best know a great, a great many. <laughs> say that. I'm just saying, a great many of them are. Yeah, you know? they, and they, they use that, and they use that as a cover. They yeah. use it as they use it as opportunity. Well, but I'm asking, when you're a drug addict, you go to drug, you go to clubs with their drugs. <laughs> but I'm asking if that's if that's part of what's happening with the cancel culture, and and maybe not because with R. Kelly, his music is. Is explicit. Filthy. He yeah. is known yeah. for having explicit music. I think it's perhaps part of the yeah, reason why. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is like pop culture going through what sort of intellectual culture went through after like the Second World War. Mm. Right. I mean, there's a number of people that we wondered because of their politics, this, this, you know, we, I can think of, you know, Ezra Pound's cantos, for instance, who spent his life defending, was, was living in Italy as a Mussolini defender and then was brought back to the United States and put in an insane asylum, I believe in DC. And it, it, there, there was a, you know, debates for, raged for like a decade after that of the, can we actually read his poems? Can we teach his poems? Are they okay? Or do, do his politics uh, taint them? The same thing, it, you know, is true of like Wagner, for instance. I mean, Wagner's music. I mean, Wagner was a, a class A anti-Semite. And Celine, I believe, is the French version of yeah. mm -hmm. uh, an incredible anti-Semite. You know, there's there are writers who were, you know, worked for a collaborationist, um, Paul Deman, mm -hmm. the the Belgian intellectual. And came, it's not just it's not just came uh, out that he was a Nazi during. It's the war. not just clean. I mean, Nazi feels clean. Like if you're yeah. on the side of the Nazis, it's just obviously terrible. We can yeah. safely, Heidegger is a great example. Safely yeah. cancel you, although it's it's more complicated than that, but. Uh, one of the better writers on this and clearer thinkers of this, unsurprisingly, was George Orwell. And in his yeah. cultural criticism in the 1930s and early 1940s, uh, one of his best essays is about Rudyard Kipling, who is a colonialist, colonialist. Mm. by definition. Mm. I mean, yeah. uh, very much so. And he got into and was able to understand and distinguish what makes him good, what makes him terrible. Um, and you, he didn't get – and it's been a while since I've refreshed uh, that particular essay, but um, – it didn't get to a point of cancellation. It's like you have to understand why this is good and powerful and also bad and powerful. But it also, ways. yeah, it also rests. I mean, we should, it presumes a certain level of trust in the reader, but which nobody has anymore. That if you read, I don't, um, you know, Evelyn Waugh's Black Mischief, which is a great book, it's a very funny book. And I think that if you don't read that book and Scoop, which is a similar, people think of it as a great journalism book, but it takes place in what would supposed to be Abyssinia, Ethiopia. So there's a lot of stereotyping and stuff like that in it. 
If you can't separate that yourself, the people who are reading that, I suspect, probably can, and I hope they're they're able to. But you're also missing out on some really great writing. Yeah. And the same thing is like really crude stuff, too. It doesn't even have to be great. George MacDonald Fraser, who's a, a, a writer, a British writer, who wrote a series of books, the Flashman books, uh, which are hilarious. It's about a, a British kind of colonial officer throughout time and history. And they're profane and they're dirty and they're really funny and brilliantly written. And I don't want those to go away. I don't want anyone to tell me we, we shouldn't be reading those. We can't be reading those because you realize that at what point are we going to get to what, where's the inflection point? Because Michael Jackson, take Michael Jackson. You don't need the molestation. You can have the anti-Semitism. Anyone remember that? Oh, yeah. Sue me, Jew me. They don't really care about us. They don't us. care about yeah. us. Where he where he was talking what about song this. Is that? Kike me. It's called it's called me. They Don't Care yeah, About yeah. Us. Kick, uh, it was kick, on, kick, kick it was on me, kike me, history. Everybody. Yeah. It was on history, nineteen ninety five. So yeah. there was still plenty of career left for him. Yeah. Uh, and when uh, it came out flat out it was again the innocence defense where he said, I didn't know that those words were uh, anti Semitic. I'm friends That's with David ignorant. Geffen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My lawyers are all Jewish. Yeah, exactly. He literally yeah. said, I'm friends with David Geffen and Steven Spielberg. And my lawyers are all Jewish. I mean, what is I don't even know what the controversy is. What is me, kike me, don't you black yeah, or white exactly. me? Yeah, exactly. kick me, kike me. Hey, uh, Camille, yeah. did you finish uh, selling your bean pods? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a reference. That's no, what's the uh, what's the other one though? What what is it? Sue me, Jumi, yeah. Sue me, Jumi, everybody do me, kick yeah. me, kike me, don't you black or white me? Yeah. And don't you bastards take that clip out of context, please? Yeah, 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 Michael yeah, Jackson yeah. wrote yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> right. but you know that 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 is. I mean, I remember. It's the, no, it's no. I told the rap get off the rag. Oh, who's that? Public enemy. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, that, that's, I, I, that's, again, that's, as, uh, what's his name? Professor, Professor Griff. Griff who, yeah. by the way, if you really want to, if you have like no, t- if you have tons of time and you're like sick in bed, this is the only time you do this. There's a series of Professor Griff videos that he's no. posted like recently. Oh, no. And he's gotten even crazier. It's like, it's amazing. But the other, the other um, thing is you have that brand Nubian. Oh, I love uh, Brand Nubian, and they're that, horrible that, with the Farrakhan stuff. Well, that they had pun, uh, punks jump up to get beat down, yeah. uh, like mother. It was like motherfucker faggot. Don't understand the way oh, they so, so much of that. So much of that, I mean, and it's like there. Look, the, the there's I mean, a hip hop until video. about three weeks ago. Was explicitly homophobic. In fact, I mean, it, I'd I'd say that it's still there. It's somehow somehow fuck boy. Like everyone seems to be willing to pretend that fuck boy is not a reference to a man who's interested. In having sex with other men. No, that's not what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty much what it no, is. It what is it? What it's do you think? Um, it is? Uh, it's like a. It's 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 kind of become a word that's just like a male bimbo. Basically. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I, I know yeah. that that's what it's become. Yeah, but honestly. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Really. How many listeners have just dropped out right now? Right on that bit, <laughs> on the etymology of the word fuckboy. My poor mother. We're going to make sure yeah, we put this sorry. in the title. It's yours. And let sorry. Me yeah. They've been warned. What are you talking about? Fuckboys. What is it? <laughs> I know what to expect. I don't even know who brand new is. I know what to expect. I saw Grassroots uh, uh, play at the garden in 72. I mean, it's, it's, it's not Your it's mother's not Lenny uncommon. Clark, huh? John Sebastian, <laughs> after he quit Love and Spoonful, <laughs> played a bar in Boston. Still. We got licking. <laughs> Unsubscribe. I'll just say it's, it's not. It's not uncommon. Give crescendo to still, clicking to still bump <laughs> into hip hop to hip hop personality saying things like "no homo" in yeah. various contexts. Yeah, I, I mean, for whatever reason, they get a pass. Um, but the point is, is that separate the people from the art, and that is always true in the sense that you can like it goes every way. I mean, I can like 
Gabriel Garcia Marquez. I don't really like him because I just not, I'm not a magical realism guy, but you can like him and forgive the fact or forget the fact that he was very close friends with, with Fidel Castro or and Pablo Chavez. Neruda for crying And Neruda was a Stalinist, you know, like mm-hmm. wrote poems about Stalin. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can read W.E.B. Du Bois. That was a little more part of his legacy because I mean, at the end, I mean, he was one of those that got a lot worse as he got older, but it doesn't invalidate. And I wouldn't not read the stuff that he read when, when, when that he wrote when he was younger. But the, everybody has this, and it's just going to create. I think the, the the chilling effect that it has on culture. I see now. I see f- fewer people willing to take risks in journalism. Uh, we, fewer people willing to say things that are a little bit on the edge, and we'll see. Because the people who do that are comedians, because they don't give a fuck. People that's who their, did. I noticed the past did. tense. Well, did. yeah, but and that's changed a lot too. Yeah. But you know, it used to be that writers would take. To, you know, we talked about Salman Rushdie's 30th anniversary of Satanic Verses, and I would like to get him in here and, and talk to him and ask him about this. And um, one of the things is, like, would you write that book today, knowing what you know now? Because if the answer is no, hmm. then good God, did they win? Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, Salman would say that, yes, he of course he would. The he answer was, was no five years in. That's for damn sure. Yeah, well, yeah, he changed it was It was the original yeah. punching down 30 yeah. years ago. That yeah. was the... But by the way, if anybody gets a chance, it's a very irritating documentary in certain places, but it's worth um, watching for for a couple of reasons. There is a Satanic Versus 30 Years Later documentary that played on the BBC a couple of nights ago. You can find it online. And it is um, hosted by a Pakistani Muslim from Huddersfield. He's, that's his background. And he goes back to Bradford where all the controversy began and it is pretty chilling. It's a pretty, wow. there's some great, but there's some bits that are really frustrating in it, but there's enough to, to justify it. It's a pretty good. Pretty I would good just film. say before we leave the topic um, for listeners out there who are thinking that, you know, these, these a-holes are um, insufficiently considerate of, uh, of those who've suffered or whatever, or like, you know, want to keep art in the marketplace that doesn't look, uh, you know, whose uh, practitioners were bad. There's something I think that uh, uh, those of us, and I won't speak for the people in the room, uh, but who are of a libertarian uh, uh, bent, uh, like all art is against <laughs> a libertarian perspective. I mean, Moynihan's favorite band is The Clash. Uh, uh, they had a record called Sandinista. I don't think that Moynihan's so. a big fan <laughs> of the Sandinista. No, and as a matter of fact, I think that one of the, my favorite songs on Sandinista is the most uh, political Mm. Uh, Washington Bulls, Washington Bulls. which um, when Joe Strummer was told that the name of the basketball team in Washington was also called the Washington Bulls, he was like, really? <laughs> he had no idea. West Unselt. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. No, no, at all, actually. Mitch Kupchak. That would be actually Joe. Uh, yeah. uh, I, haven't, I haven't let Roger Waters' shitty politics ruin my Yeah, I mean, look, people don't let politics. I mean, there there is an instinct, and, and conservatives have this, I think, worse than liberals, because liberals don't have to pay attention to it as much, because the culture in so many ways is theirs. But there used to be people who reviewed films, a couple that I can think of, um, uh, a guy named James Bowman. I don't know if you remember him, but he reviewed films for various American Spectator, the New York Sun, when that was a thing. And it was always like, it could be anything, Spider-Man. And it'd be like, you know, there's a real conservative theme running for this. It's like, could you just stop living your life like that? It's miserable. Yeah. It is. I mean, allow yourself to not only have fun, but to enjoy things where the creators of those things had a totally different life experience than you leading them to create those things, uh, you know, to begin with. And that's pretty much where we get most of our politics from. I don't mind that Joe Strummer was a diplomat's kid 
who went, you know, to, you know, live in squats in, in, in London and pretend he was something that he wasn't. I, that's a, I don't understand that world, but I like what it produced. The best, uh, the best case for that is, um, uh, Sweet Home Alabama by Leonard Skinnerd, uh, which was a rebuke to Neil Young's Southern Man. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, Southern Man don't want, want, want him around anyhow, et cetera. Um, uh, Neil Young was asked about that. Uh, uh, you know, like, hey, you just got kind of bitch slapped there. Uh, what do you think about that? And he said, you know what? It's a better song. And he's right. It's a good, it's a good song. So anyway, but yeah, don't cancel people. Yeah. It's so, stupid. So speaking of cancellation, um, tomorrow, finally and bravely, the Congress of the United States is apparently uh, going to hold a vote on an important issue. Um, and we were all wondering, you know, whether or not this would come before the House this year. It finally has. Um, but it sounds like there's going to be a vote condemning anti-Semitism. Now we'll have to see who's willing to vote in favor of this daring measure. Um, this is quite unprecedented in the history of the United States because we all know um, that the calibration of the country is against the hated Jews. Have we mentioned that um, Camille is the worst at sarcasm? <laughs> quite bad. Any human yeah. being. Quite bad. Yeah. Well, any you know what it is? I'm in, the room, yeah. I'm in the room with you so I can make faces, but even when I do it... Well, we're trying... Just I, to get people excited, we're trying to get the cameras tonight. Yeah, so. we, we might need to put an audio say, watermark over say, whenever you're talking. obviously yeah. outrageous <laughs> things, and I hope that when I say them... I believe the interlopers <laughs> in my neighborhood who are taking up the money. So, I, I, don't, I don't know that we have to spend a whole bunch of time on this, but the vote appears to be happening tomorrow. Um, what, what are your thoughts on uh, my thoughts this? about what the fucker is Moynihan wearing on his face? We'll get, we got cameras. Now. We got cameras. So you're going to put yeah. on the, like the olive, like no, I put, tree I put glasses. The, I, I put, I put the, uh, the uh, Phantom of the Opera mask on. <laughs> I love that. Love that musical. Yes, I do too. Camille, the interlopers. So, so I mean, to, to give some context to Camille's, very dry sarcasm. Uh, the uh, representative Ilan Omar uh, had another "quote unquote" gaffe, questioning Congress people's potential loyalty to a foreign entity and the use of the phrase "dual loyalty." So uh, Democrats are kind of, in my opinion, overreacting by uh, leading this charge to have this resolution to condemn uh, anti-Semitism without mentioning Representative Omar by name. Um, and I don't necessarily think this is going to be the end of the issue because apparently APAC, uh, told, a representative from APAC, uh, told the New York Times that they're coming for uh, Representative Talib and Representative Omar. So this is mm. probably going to continue. I mean, she steps on her um, business yeah. <laughs> once a week. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I like when, when people, too, people, people say like, oh, these are these are gaffes, or she's learning. It's a learning curve. It's, it's she's only been in office for like sixty days. At a certain point, it kind of just is no. Who and you are. she was going dual loyalty close to it with Lindsey Graham before, as we've mentioned, mm -hmm. and like that phrase, dual loyalty, regardless of the Semitic context of it, doesn't matter. Like it's actually saying that you who swore an oath on the Constitution of the United States has a separate loyalty against someone else. I mean, dual loyalty in the history of American politics, who was it used most vociferously against in the lifetime of our parents? It was John F. Kennedy. It wasn't, it wasn't a Jew. A man, a man that was, was beholden to Rome. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. To the Vatican. Mm -hmm. But no, it is, I mean, it's, it's funny when you make that claim and you're somebody who resides on the, the, the sort of the, the far end of the 
progressive, um, you know, bell curve on the heel of it. Mm. And you're accusing people of disloyalty to the United States, which is quite funny when you think about it. It's like your loyalty is not one place. It should be. The implication there is that your loyalty has to be to one country, right? And these people have dual loyalty, their interest in this other country. Now, of course, it's only really Israel that that uh, gets that now. But, you know, I don't, I think the whole thing is silly. I think it's a stupid sideshow to, to do this dumb res- resolution mm-hmm. and to split your own party apart when you desperately need to unseat the president um, in the next election. Anything that contributes to that, to these these uh, fissures in the party, I think is probably a bad decision just politically. But, you know, I, I don't really care. And the reason I don't care is, guys, you guys created this. This is your fault. You're the one who created this. You're the one who's policing everybody's, you know, I, the number of times I hear people accused of a various ism or ist in which it is so unclear mm-hmm. why they're being accused of this. And now we're saying, oh, my God, she said, Dula, how does that make sense? She's not an anti-Semite. Go, where are you the other times when somebody, you know, breathes in the wrong way and you're like, man, that's white supremacy. It's like really? <laughs> when really? Bernie Sanders allegedly does talk about race and class. It, and Bernie Sanders enough. is being accused of being a racist. And I will give Bernie Sanders a credit for, for and a few things, and a actually. And a sexist. But I will give uh, Bernie Sanders credit for a few things. One of them is you can find a photo of him in Chicago in the early 60s at civil rights protests. Mm-hmm. Shut up. Bernie Sanders has a lot of problems. That's not one of them. Find another one. If you are out there throwing this charge with reckless abandon, and as I've said a number of times, quoting myself, that the, <laughs> the you know that the, the most toxic charge in public life carries the lowest evidentiary standard. Why are you Zero surprised? Evidentiary Zero evidentiary standard in some of the times. Why are you surprised when it comes in and bites you in the ass when someone on your own side is doing it? This is the problem. It ultimately eats you, and they never realize that. And that's sort of like the Arthur Kessler lesson of darkness at noon. You keep shooting people in pits until all of a sudden you feel the cold gunmetal on the nape of your neck and you say, oh, what the fuck is this happening? Oh shit, it's happening to me. And this is what happens when you do this sort of thing, when nothing, no words mean anything, where no accusations, they're all just bombs that we throw and whether they're true or not, we'll figure it out later. And you know, so not a lot of sympathy, sorry. I shut you all up. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's just like we, we, can, we can edit that. Put it, put it in the intro. Low energy. <clears throat> Low energy Camille. <laughs> so they call him. Camille just feels bad because he feels like he can't criticize APAC as much as he wants to. Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. And um, the slave trade. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever read The Secret Relationship Between Blacks and Jews? Uh, I haven't. I haven't okay. read this. I'm aware of its existence. Yeah, there's a PDF of it online. Yeah. I'm probably not going to seek that out. Uh, you just, should. just for the record. You should. Um, if you don't, if you're not afraid of the truth, Camille. There was also a piece <laughs> in New York Mag, which oh, I think dear. this is sort of tangentially connected to this because a lot of the, the freshman class of the Democratic Party who are in, in the House are, are, are sort of affiliated with sort of the AOC wing of the Democratic Party. I think it's fair to call sure. it that as I'm, opposed to the Bernie Sanders wing. AOC DSA. The, the AOC. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, uh, you know, a lot of urbane New Yorkers. Uh-huh. Sure. Um, well, the, this piece in New York Magazine, um, which I know we were sort of discussing by a text, when did everyone become a socialist, uh, is uh, is interesting. It's a, a nice photograph of some, I imagine, I guess these are millennials because they're a little older. They're not the, the younger ones, whatever we're calling those Generation people. Generation Z, I believe. Yeah, but these, these hipsters I look like the kids who live in the neighborhood, the kids who just moved in in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. not the kids who've lived there for a very long time. Um, 
I've seen them around. I know one of them was on that uh, lost episode that we never, ever, ever released. Um, Did uh, they accuse you of being a gentrifier? No, she accused me of hating women. Um, yeah. So Ooh, true enough. I was enough exposed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> obviously. But I, but I wonder, but I wonder what you gentlemen think of this, uh, of this piece, uh, having read it, I, I suspect you did. Perhaps you only perused it. Um, I read it. I thought it was pretty entertaining. Uh, the thing that was most striking to me was the discussion of an app that, uh, apparently is shared among the, uh, urbane socialist community to weed out dating potential liberals. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like that is literally that's a quote from Natasha Leonard, a former yeah. debating opponent of mine. Uh, yeah. That literally, that that you could you could abide a lot of things, but a, a liberal sneaking through the gauntlet of your romantic life cannot be had. I, I, I am a bit skeptical of making this comparison, but I'm going to do it anyway. Oh God! <laughs> Pull out your history books, Here comes folks. Mm. Yeah, you go. That's what I said. Um, one of the issues, by the way, in, in, this is actually true. And I, I'm not, there's no comparison, but I just think it's an interesting thing. There's history to this. The, the one of the things that happened in, in, in Germany in the late twenties and the early 1930s was that, that the KPD, which is the German communist party was too busy fighting the social, social liberals, the socialists. And they turned all their fire on them while, while the national socialists marched to power. It's not, the only reason I bring that up is to not that there's any historical echoes. I mean, I'm not, um, uh, Timothy Snyder who's ruined his career <laughs> by doing these sorts of things. Um, or, but, or not. I, well, he's, he's ruined his reputation with me. Yeah. Um, we had him on the show and we let him talk, which I, you know, maybe should have so, done. It's a new thing with you. We yeah, it is. That. It is. But I don't know how good it is. We'll, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> We're going to get that. to that. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, it, it's not uncommon that, that there is the internecine fighting takes priority for a lot of people. But I don't think this idea, you know, the economists had a similar cover. We're all socialists now. They're all socialists now. Um, I don't think this is new in any way. We're just talking about young people that live in New York City. Shocking. I mean, they were all socialists when I was their age, too, to sound quite old. But, you know, I'm not that old. But, you know, a generation ago, it was the same thing. I mean, there's no difference. They just now they have a, a few viable candidates and the entire Democratic field is lurching to the left. That's the point. Yeah. Whether, whether or not they're they're all socialists, whether or not they are. But this is not. No, the dominant, I, I, the dominant force at a minimum from yeah. a cultural standpoint, no, I, you know, the conversation yeah, seems to be getting driven it is, but it's kind them. of bullshit though, because Bernie, Bernie was the only one that was smart enough to do it. Right. Uh -huh. All these other guys are too stupid and pandering to the DNC. Somebody came out who's not even a member of the democratic party. says mm -hmm. he's a Democrat just to run for president. You know, he's filing papers for 2024 as an independent and, you know, in 2020 as a Democrat. I mean, the guy's playing both sides of the street here and he comes out and he does these things and he's saying whatever he wants to say. And People really like it because guess what? Time immemorial, people enjoy a candidate, whether it's Donald Trump mm -hmm. or Bernie Sanders, um, saying, we're going to give you things. Yeah. And there is plutocrats that are making all the money. That's always been the case. People always like that stuff. We have a pretty decent economy now as far as these things go. Yeah, I understand wage growth has been stagnant since 1980, 81, et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, you know, we still have 4% unemployment. There's people out of the workforce. Yes, I understand that too. But we're not living in this post-apocalyptic hellscape that you would be you know, if you're in Portugal or Spain, where the youth unemployment's like 45%, right. it's not that bad. But nevertheless, this stuff really resonates with people, not because it's a particular moment in American history, not because these guys have these great ideas, because people like this rhetoric. They always have. And also the uh, the perceived authenticity of it. Like, I don't give a shit. I will say exactly what yeah. I think. 
though it is kind of cool in the set, that sense. I mean, I think it's a demerit for Bernie Sanders that he's not changed his mind in the past 45 years. <laughs> he still has the same politics. I might have changed in the last 45 minutes. My, my, I, I want to ask you a question, Michael, because I, I am sorry for calling you Michael. But uh, I'm wearing glasses. That's why. Yeah, it's, 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 it's dislocating. But uh, so there's a, a Twitter account called Reagan Battalion who like just every single day is coming up with videos of Sanders coming back from uh, the Soviet Union in 1988. Yeah. It's a lot later than most people might want. It's where he, it's where he honeymooned. Uh, where he honeymooned and talking about like they've, they've, they've solved a lot of problems um, and, and other like videos from the 80s of yeah. him coming back. Did you – are you the source of all those videos? <laughs> I am not the source of them, but I was the one that, that dug them out and wrote a piece about them. Yeah. So I have them. That <laughs> kind of sounds like <laughs> well, no, the, the source. Well, no, the source is like – I just – I want to be clear that – not give myself any credit here. They were online if you knew where to look. It was in this really weird local cable access station that was really hard to f- find the website and try to navigate the website. It was impossible. Mm. And I went to the library in Burlington. So I was in Burlington. I went to the public library. It's very hard to get the old Burlington um, Free Press, I think is the name of the paper. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, to get those online. They don't have an archive online that goes back. But if you go back, I mean, you know, Jesse Walker had a hilarious tweet the other day about, you know, if you didn't have a Nicaraguan sister city in the 80s, like, <laughs> you, didn't, you, didn't, you don't remember the 80s kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and they were a sister city to, to some place on the northwestern coast of Nicaragua. And so Sanders was quite a good friend of Daniel Ortega. Daniel Ortega right now, who is currently... Um, oppressing his people in a way that he's never done in the past, a very aggressive way, shooting students, a number of people have died. People that supported the revolution before the 70s revolution in 79 have absolutely backed away now. I mean, I mean, Bianca Jagger was a big Sandinista in the, in the eighties. She's Nicaraguan and has come out throwing hard, heavy punches against Daniel Ortega. Nobody has asked Bernie Sanders, you praised Daniel Ortega and said yeah. he was a Democrat. You said he was the, the, a good guy being demonized by Washington. What do you think of that now? I would love to hear somebody asking that question. But does, yeah. anyone, does anyone care? Beyond beyond the folks in this room, no. But it'd be an, an interesting to see how he answered. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I, no, not, I think yeah. I think actually, certainly not certainly not young. I voters. think actually people do. Here's my theory about that, uh-huh. which is just that um, Bernie Sanders did not run a competitive race last time. What I mean by that is that he wasn't competed against too much. Uh-huh. Hillary Clinton had this massive advantage. Sure, he started at like five percent, ten percent, and then suddenly he started going up. And but like so, she played defense against him. The the DNC incorporated a lot of his lefty kind of uh, economic stuff. Her critiques against him were basically twofold. His numbers don't add up, which is totally true. Um, and also like. Dude, you really spent your honeymoon in Soviet Union. That kind of sucks. I don't remember. Uh, so, but it, both those things were kind of backpedaling and it, they, they didn't – that wasn't the stuff that drew blood. But drew blood ultimately yeah. was like, I am going to win. Why are you getting in my way? Uh-huh. And that, that that got enough of it. So people haven't really competed against it. My uh, sense is that this time around, since there's – 3,000 Democrats running against Bernie Sanders at, at this point. Yeah. Um, 
right now it feels like the the biggest line of of uh, attack coming from people has to do more with identity politics than anything else. But I think he's going to get a more vigorous from the AB, Amy Klobuchar's from Beto O'Rourke. If he runs, he's going to get a sense of your numbers don't add up. That is more incisive uh, than Hillary's because she, again, was just trying to like, oh, you know, I can't believe you're going to upset me here. Right, right. So I will try to put you off as gently as I can uh, here. So I think those videos are going to actually have more of a landing point. He already ha- has a bunch of problems in uh, in Florida, a, a, a bunch of Democrats in Florida like, dude, uh, and he he uh, he was under a, like a pincher attack in uh in uh, over his comments about Venezuela, because on one hand, he said, you know, the Maduro regime really needs to open up for aid and this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so all of his uh, followers uh, on the Michael Tracy left are like, my God, you're you know, you're being a, a neocon stooge. Meanwhile, the Florida Democrats were like, my God, you're you're being, a, you know, an apologist for a Stalinist regime over there. Um, I think that he's going to get a lot more competition this time around than he did last. Yeah. Time. And, I'm, so and I want to come back to the Venezuela stuff. But before we go too far away from from this topic the the socialism um piece of this is is i think interesting just the fact that socialism donald trump is using it as a slur against essentially the entire democratic field you mean um, a socialist is calling people socialists <laughs> good yes. good for him yeah great yeah but but there's also this point of refinement that I will see in a number of pieces when talking about Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders saying that they're not, in fact, socialists, they're democratic socialists. And what they're talking about, for the most part, is emulating these Nordic economic models where, you know, they're they're socialists. But but there's something incredibly dishonest about that. Yep. Because the policy proposals that they've been suggesting over and over again, oftentimes far exceed the policies that actually exist there. Like, I don't see many of them talking about school choice and vouchers, but in some of these Nordic countries, they have essentially a universal policy of school choice. And and they've yeah. been talking about abolishing private insurance, but private healthcare insurance exists in some of these Nordic countries. Uh, those those mean, countries, to be, to be clear, are high-tax countries. That's right. What they are. Which, I mean, which, is, which, is, which is the other, services. which is the other yeah. most dishonest high, piece of this because all tax, of them are saying, yeah, that it's the tax, billionaires low corporate tax. The corporate tax in Sweden uh-huh. is 22%, 22%. And for years and years and years, that was a lot. Well, you have write-offs. There's no write-offs in Sweden. It's still 22%. It's yeah. Very, very low. Right. And that was, I mean, look, you have a, a clotted housing market in Stockholm, which is controlled by the state in the most insane way, in a way that, you know, you get put on a list when you're born to get, you know, access to a, a contract of a, of a apartment in Stockholm. Um, you, I bought when I was there secondhand contracts on the black market, basically. Hmm. And that's one of the reasons that Spotify, which is a Swedish company, is basically threatening the government say like, we can't even, we don't have any place to put people here because of this insane policy, this housing policy is nuts. The same thing happened with taxes. It was like the, those rates came down because when uh, Sweden has a very educated wars, workforce, uh-huh. Skype is a Swedish company, right. but most people think of it as Microsoft now. Uh-huh. But in, in, the, in the interim, people thought of it as, a, as an Estonian company because they went to Estonia. So many of those people went across the Baltic Sea to Estonia. There was tax competition in Europe. Right. So, I mean, the, the, it's a funny thing, but I thought you were actually going to make a slightly different point. Uh-huh. And I, I do want to say this, is that it is very, very funny that you they always say this, like we're democratic socialists. We're not. We're, we're Scandinavian. That's the model we want. Okay, fine. 
I don't think you get the Scandinavian model, but but if you want to make that uh-huh, that uh-huh. the hill that you die on, okay. Why is it that all of these people at some point in their lives have gone to bat for somebody in, in Bernie Sanders' case, Cuba, sure. you know, Nicaragua, sure, the sure. number of people that are saying, well, you know, Venezuela, well, you know, if that was Pinochet, they would say something very different. If you are a democratic socialist, as opposed to these 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 knuckle dragging scumbags like Nicolas Maduro and his crime family that has destroyed that country, used to be one of the richest countries of the richest country in Latin America. You cannot come out and say without any equivocation that this is a dictatorship, as we saw in the conversation I had the other day. But AOC was was um, asked if it was a dictatorship and she said it's complex. Well, there's a lot of things about Venezuela that are complex. <laughs> One thing that isn't fucking complex is the fact that Nicolas Maduro is a nasty dictator. And there is no doubt about that. You could have these conversations about what we could call Chavez in the past um, because of, I mean, I think that he was authoritarian dictator, depending on what day and what year. But Maduro, there's there's no doubt and about a- it. And AOC... Uh, Why can't they say it? ...had way more to say about Elliot Abrams than she did about... The whole thing Nicholas was about Elliot Abrams. Maduro. The whole thing. And, and I, and I would, would, would suggest that if anyone had a moment with her to ask her specifically about Elliot Abrams. I mean, Elliot Abrams, who I think was a never Trumper, by the way, um, uh, Elliot Abrams, um, when she's talking about, you know, he's a, a crook and then a war criminal. And then, you know, it's Iran Contra, which is separate. She, she was and, throwing around buzzwords. There was yeah, no, there was nothing like, tying together. I don't think she has any sense of what she's talking about. I think Elliot Abrams, uh, performs rather disgracefully, um, particularly in, in, uh, El Salvador in the early eighties when massacres that were doubted by, by the U S government turned out later that they, they, they were wrong. And I think they ultimately copped to it, but, but they were too willing to forgive military dictatorships and bad death squads in in El Salvador, Mm -hmm, et cetera. mm -hmm. But I, I think that a lot of people that are on the other side of these issues can, can say that without a problem. I know a lot of people that say, well, you know, look, I don't really even want to say that Chile ended up as a economic success story because the person who brought it that way was a real piece of shit. And that's true. It's undeniably true is that because you can actually create a sustainable liberal economy in Chile without murdering people in a soccer stadium. It's very, very simple. And I think uh, the, I don't think many people defend that if they do, they're cast out of society. The other are. point about uh, the kind of, um, infatuation with the Nordic model is that it's divorced from Nordic reality, right? Like, uh, um, uh, it was our, uh, friend, um, not uh, Bjorn Lomborg. My God. Johan Norberg. I mean, yeah. they should That's really get a room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. but wrote a piece <laughs> for, uh, for, for a reason, like a uh, Bernie should learn from Sweden. Carl built was absolutely lighting Bernie up on Twitter. Uh, what? 10 days ago or, or a yeah. week ago. Carl's, um, Carl's great. Uh, saying um, that uh, reacting to one of those videos that came out from 1988 of uh, of Bernie saying like, oh, you know, they figured out really important things there in the Soviet Union in 1988 for crying out loud. But like they uh, there's a there's a kind of uh, a sense of that uh, the Bernie Sanders idea of Scandinavia is tethered to 1974 policy Mm -hmm. um, and wants to claim 1995 results. And the 95 results were because of Carl Bildt, actually. Carl Bildt's uh, premiership. So the joke in Sweden was always that there was this stagn- economic stagnation when the Social Democrats, and then you have these these brief, like, um, 
you know, conservative is not the right word. It's, it's actually only in Sweden is the conservative party called the moderate party. It's the most Swedish thing in the world. <laughs> but when the moderates would come into government, they would change things, push things in a different direction. They'd lose after that. And then the, the social numbers would come back. And, you know, they were, you know, 65 of the last 70 years, whatever it was. And they would take credit for it. And this is essentially what happened. And it was true that after Carl Bildt's government came in in the early 90s, there was a great restructuring of, uh, if Sweden had kept on going on in the path that it was going on, and it started off having no damage from the Second World War at a, at a roaring functioning economy, but um, yeah, it was going in the wrong direction. And there were a lot of tweaks that were made to it. And if you look at Scandinavia now, I mean, look, you can say a lot of great things about it. I live there. My daughter is, has a Swedish passport. I'm not, I'm not opposed to Sweden anyway. I see things that I like about the country that work very, very well. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm fairly certain that the, the subway in Stockholm is still privatized or, or, or a public-private partnership that it's run by, you know, there was one company, it might have been a Chinese company, a French company that was fired and then they hired a new one. And it, it, I mean, it's, you can eat off the floor on the subway. It runs like clock. It's amazing. And that's not a result of the government doing that. But, you know, there are things to say on both sides, I would say about that. But the fundamental point is that, that most people who, who, who reference Sweden uh, misunderstand it. And it's also, you know, mm -hmm. I, as, as somebody who was diagnosed with type one diabetes in Stockholm, I can tell you some stories about the healthcare system. Well, that's, yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. And it's it, bad. It, you know, it, when you get it, it's, it's great. It's really good. There's often this people pretense as though there, there are no problems there. There are no issues with respect to weights, but anyone who actually takes the time to go and look can find that they've been struggling to pay for this system because they struggle with a lot of the same demographic challenges that the rest of the now West do. does. So the, um, the, the joke about this is that, is that uh, the Swedish system and the Nord Nordic welfare system, say Nordic to include Finland in it too, uh -huh. always works in a homogenous community of people that have the same goals. And it's essentially Swedes all, um, I love you guys because we had somebody that came to the live show all the way from Sweden. You're great. Right. Love Sweden. Mm -hmm. it's fa you're fantastic. It's a true story. But uh, you guys are all the same. <laughs> you all believe the same but, thing. But they're also aging. I mean, it's, yeah. it's also an aging Across population. Yeah. So there's a number yeah. of challenges yes. associated with trying to maintain a very generous entitlement system, especially when you have a lot of now, immigration well, now inflow you, as well. When you have a migrant, it's a great that, deal yeah. of strain totally. on the system. And for that reason, there have actually been cuts to yeah. programs in recent years. Uh, of course, um, yeah. And some reforms and some people who are crying out for there to be limits and restrictions on these things, which... Again, I, I just think that there's there's a great deal of false advertising with the social democrat program here yeah. in the United States yeah. with respect to the the actual understanding that Americans have of what European how European entitlement schemes work. I, I just um, yeah, there's, I, there's yeah. just no understanding yeah, yeah, yeah. of it whatsoever. I don't understand what the D in the DSA means because if this was a <laughs> a, a group of democratic socialists and the, they were like the social democratic party of Sweden, mm -hmm. um, I'd be fine with them. You know, I mean, there's, there's literally, I, you know, lived in Sweden, uh, knew a lot of social Democrats, knew a lot of uh, people in the, in the, in the party and, and certain, you know, parliamentarians and these people that we talked to and interact with a lot. And they were all good people, decent people, and, you know, had a different idea about, about certain policy measures, but they weren't extremists and they weren't weirdos. This is very standard in, in Sweden. But I think when you have this DSA as this, as this kind of um, insurgent group uh -huh. is that, you know, it, it is the, the, the Marx brothers, whatever it is, I'm against it kind of thing that doesn't mm -hmm, work. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you're the democratic and democratic socialist, why is the New York chapter always tweeting positive things 
about Maduro, or at least not negative things. I don't, I mean, I've seen their Twitter feed where it's like, you know, Juan Guaido is not the, like, look at, see what happened when somebody dissolved an actual body which was the legislative assembly and, 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 and created a new one mm-hmm. to get around. Mm-hmm. Is that something mm-hmm. you'd allow right. in democratic socialism? And, and, and if not, why are you not condemning that? So when it comes up, it's a very easy answer. Yeah. It's a simple answer. It's, right. it's literally not complicated. It, it, like let's say Cuba, let's just do that because you know, Sanders, these people have defended Cuba. What do you think about Cuba? It's a dictatorship that uh-huh. has not allowed elections since it came to power in 1959. It should uh-huh. allow elections. It should allow free speech. It should allow free trade unions as, as, as liberals that we are, leftists that we are. And that's it. And until we have that, I have nothing positive to say about it. End of story. Why can people not say that if they're democratic socialists in the Scandinavian model? I just don't see it. I'm sure there are some that can, but I, I routinely run into this, particularly with the, the sort of New York DSA types. So I should I should say I mean like we that, and we've we've kind of mentioned it already. Yeah. But you just had this special dispatch release mm. where you talked to is it Mark Weisbrot is Weisbrot is, yeah. is his name. Yeah. Um, and one of the various things that we talked that you talked to him about was whether or not Venezuela was a dictatorship. Uh, it was a question yeah. he answered in the negative. He just said it was not a dictatorship. He said dictatorship is a is a word that doesn't have any meaning yeah, does, um, yeah. in, in yeah. political science, which is just yeah. technically not true. It's not true. Um, I, I, I it does, in fact, have, yeah, I, I does in fact have yeah. a meaning. Yeah. Um, the meaning of the word is, as you've insinuated here, because I don't yeah. think you've said so explicitly, is to the extent that you are power and yeah. you've essentially taken power by force or i would say or or i would argue are maintaining your control of the country by force you are in fact by definition a dictator yes and because there are political prisoners yes. in places like venezuela if you I are just under opposed house. yeah if you're opposed to the government house. you get locked up yeah um, yes. this is yes I'd, I'd say that this qualifies yeah. and they are in fact using political violence at this point um, yeah. To suppress opposition parties. Mass- massively so. Um, massively so I, I think it does, in fact, qualify. But I wonder if you have any additional thoughts about that conversation, things yeah. that, that you perhaps didn't get a chance to yeah, say well, after I, listening I, to it again geez, that you might want to. I didn't listen to it again, actually, because I was I I, I it was a sort of experiment PTSD. of like letting somebody talk and not because Mark Westbrook is a, is, is a, a train that just drives directly at you and doesn't stop and doesn't slow down. And so I, to, to create, to prevent, you know, a shout fest too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it was important to let him have his speech. And well, try can to, I, I mean, can at I, one point he was like, let me get a word in here. And I was like, you never fucking well, can I push you in a particular direction yeah. then? Since, since you haven't re-listened to it, I listened to it yeah. and I, I listened while I was doing the sort of light editing that needed to happen before we released it. Wow. It was extremely light. It's almost completely uncut, but, I'm wondering about the the same case mm. for perhaps not supporting mm. the Maduro regime, mm. but keeping the United States from being too involved in the region. Sure. Because I think your own perspective on this it's perfectly said, yeah. seems to be consistent yeah. with the goal of a lot of the people who are opposed to U.S. intervention yeah. in South America. It's just that their goal of opposing intervention in South America also support. seems to be complemented by a really insane, in some mm-hmm. cases, mm-hmm. bit of boosterism for this 100%. regime. Yeah, 100%. I, I think there's been conversation about like whether or not there's a coup taking place mm-hmm. in Venezuela right now. Um that's a conversation that we can have, whether or not the Trump administration has been exceedingly bad in their 
handling there, but, of the but, circumstance. By the way, there's not a coup taking place. <laughs> right. There's not a coup. But, I mean, but, people protesting. But I've seen yeah. recently, and I, I can't even remember who it was that went to a, a grocery store in Venezuela um, <laughs> yeah, and, and released yeah. a video yeah, of themselves yeah, yeah. shopping there. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, and yeah. showed all of the store sure. shelves yeah, that were filled with yeah. all sorts of goods that were there for the taking. I, there's a few people that do that. I don't want to mention their names because I think that they don't even deserve to pass our lip. I am a non-interventionist. I'm yeah. not interested in the United States getting involved in this particular conflict, but there's but room mean, yeah. to take that position while condemning a grotesque regime which is obviously a well. It's like the it's definition. like the old joke of that they're not anti-war; they're on the other side. And oftentimes, people pretend to be anti-war when they're on the other side. There's also people that are completely um, genuine about being opposed to wars. Period. All of them. Um, it's an old trick, obviously, that that we've seen in the Soviet Union. We saw uh, North Koreans do it. There's one um, shop in Pyongyang that's well stocked, and they always take visitors there. And there's people that are like shopping and smiling and looking as if it's they're usually gonna... the place where diplomats can shop. It, well, it's also the case is that no one said that you can't buy things in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. People did say that you can't afford things in Venezuela. Right. Yeah. So, so like if you have foreign currency, it's the foreign if you have currency. Foreign which, currency. Which, is, which is all the fault of the speculators. Yeah, of course. And the sanctions. Yeah. It's which is I mean, it's um, it's astonishing to listen to that. I didn't even know where to begin. And I was trying to keep the thing from going off the rails. But that sanction stuff is complete nonsense. I mean, the economy has been destroyed. And this is the one of the reasons I'm against sanctions. Uh, one of the, the, the first reasons is that the economy is already it's already bad. It's already bad. So we don't, I mean, typically you want sanctions to make people scream a little bit and then put pressure on the regime because all of a sudden they don't have the flower that they had, you know, uh, six months ago. Venezuelans haven't had the flower they needed in 10 years, you know. I mean, this is in, in, in periods and sometimes it's okay. But we saw shortages when wage and price controls started. We saw shortages when everything was was nationalized by Hugo Chavez in a very, very, very slipshod way. I mean, just really taking over land. Mm-hmm. I knew a person... I was with a person, I might even mention this on the show, I, I was with a person who had a hacienda, a big, big uh, bit of land, um, who was a former Venezuelan diplomat, and it was taken over while I was with him. And he was unaware of this. We were in a different country, and he was, I think I told him on the show, and then he, he, his, his place was, and it was live on television. This is how this went. And there were people, he had a pool, and there were kids jumping in the pool, and they were giving, it was on Allo Presidente, uh, Chavez's show. And they took over, they took over his, um, Diego Aria was his name. You can look at it. There's a video of it online, but you know, the thing about these people is that disgusts me so much. I think they're rotten, wretched people, particularly the ones that take these videos in, in, in supermarkets and say, everything's fine. You're basically calling every journalist out there a liar. CNN has done some really just depressing reporting, um, on hospitals, on empty, empty, um, uh, supermarkets. I mean, Mark Weisbrot said the clap boxes, which is a thing that you get from the government, which p- p- never it comes when it comes, by the way, is the idea that he's like, oh, they're feeding more people. That's not a good thing, Mark. It's a bad thing when there were 6 million clap boxes and now they're 7.5 and they don't come very much and they last about a week. Mm. It's a family cannot you know, exist on these things. So, you know, it's interesting to watch these people say, oh, there's food and they're lying. The New York Times has done great reporting on this. The Guardian has done great reporting on this. Uh, CNN has done really uh, like heart wrenching 
stuff on this. BBC has done incredible work on this stuff of bringing cameras furtively into hospitals and to pharmacies and into into places where where you're supposed to buy food. But you know, a place in Altamira, which is like where rich people live, or country, the place in in, in Venezuela in Caracas called Country Club is the name of the, the neighborhood. Places like that, you're going to find. You know, I mean, Venezuela had the first big shopping mall mm-hmm. during the oil boom in the 70s. It's an enormous place. And I've been in it. It's like it's where people used to go um, to have nights out because it was the only place that was safe that had guards. You know, it's a place that's murders. I mean, 20, 20, 25,000 murders a year in a country of 330,000 people. I mean, 30 million people. Whereas we have 14,000 murders a year and we're 330 million people. I mean, we're, they're beating us by 10 times. So uh, my big issue with these people is that a lot of it comes down to this idea of this is a democratic regime. There was a democratic um, election and he won. Well, that's not true. But if we go to the previous elections, those are democratic too. Let me ask you a simple question. Uh, Maduro, Chavista, scumbags, all of you. If you would allow this in this country, if Donald Trump, we're like, maybe the Russians had a Facebook post. Maybe they had 10 Facebook posts. Oh my God, we should invalidate the results and do it all over again. Oh dear God, there was some Facebook posts. Do you know what happens in Venezuela, you dumb fucking idiots? You have any idea what a cadena is? A chain, a national chain? This is a thing that happens in a lot of Latin American countries, but they don't use them. They're for national emergencies. And what the government does, they call a cadena, and it takes over every band, including radio, cable, et cetera. And you have to show what the government wants you to show. And there's a, there's a website called the Cadena Watch of the number of hours that Nicolas Maduro and, and Hugo Chavez have done Cadenas. I was in El Universal, the newspaper's um, uh, 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 you know, newsroom. And the ca- the, all the TVs up in the newsroom, and people started laughing and Cadena came on. And the, the camera was like, what's going on? Every screen Chavez is on. And they have to carry it and they go on for hours, hours. And you can't get, you can't turn it off. If you were to try to override it, you'd be arrested, you'd be shut down, et cetera. Is that a democratic country? Is that a free election? So prior to the election, when, when, um, Enrique Capriles, the previous guy was, 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 was running and he was giving a speech today, they called a cadena. And all of a sudden Capriles is off the air. And all of a sudden Chavez is everywhere being a fucking psycho like he always is, pulling out guns, smashing things on the table, being a psycho, right? Is that free and fair? If you allowed that, if Donald Trump said, you know what, I'm going to take over every band <laughs> on cable and on broadcast and on the radio when uh, Hillary Clinton comes on, you'd say that election wasn't fair. But we don't, we have this, you know, soft bigotry of low expectations. They're Latin American. That's fine. Let them do that. That's okay. They can do that sort of stuff. You listen to, look at BTB, this, uh, the, the state uh, run channel. It is, I mean, it's like a cartoon of a propaganda channel. Imagine if PBS just ran hagiographic portraits of Donald Trump 24 hours a day. That's it. That's all they did. And then they had Bill O'Reilly on or, or uh, Steve Ducey in the morning. If Fox became PBS, would that be a fair election? Because that's what Bete Bay is. Nobody disputes that. It's an, it, it just watch it for, for 20 minutes. You don't have to speak Spanish. You can watch it for 20 minutes and see what happens there. It is insane. But these people don't address any of that. They expect that you don't know this and you don't know this. And there you say, well, there's a Jimmy Carter Foundation came and said, blah, blah, blah. Come on. I mean, what are the conditions? You know, for, for a democratic election. Also, when you win an election and you don't rule democratically, it's not a democratic government, period. Why is this hard for people to understand? Mm-hmm. You can win in a fair vote, which he didn't do, 
but win in a fair vote and after that happens, start arresting people and start packing the judiciary and start arresting people fleeing abroad. I mean, is that a democracy because he won the election a year before? No. And I would imagine that the same people who uh, or some of the same people who uh, defend that will at the same time criticize Viktor Orban in, in Hungary, whose measures, yeah. whose measures yeah. are terrible. Yeah. He's a bad person and we should root against him. Um but pale in comparison. Pale in comparison. He, he's still working within European Union basic rules of comportment. They don't like him. They're trying to fight against him for a lot of reasons, uh, many of which I agree with. Um, but it pales in comparison. Yeah, I mean, Venezuela is Zimbabwe in a lot of ways. I mean, you have you have keep on lopping zeros off of off of uh, the currency. You say that oh, this is backed up. This is a, a currency now. It's backed up by a fake cryptocurrency. And we brought in $70 billion of people investing in this, in this cryptocurrency. Um, yeah, I mean, they just lie and lie and lie. And I want to say one final thing about this. He's looking on his computer for yeah. the cryptocurrency. No, to see whether no, his no, trading no. Is, is going <laughs> no, on. No, it's yeah. not actually. It's, it's something that, that these people actually, um, never reckon with. And I didn't get to this, um, because we got sidetracked and we got, I didn't, you know, it's so fucking long and boring about. Venezuela. But Mark Weisbrot wrote a column for The Guardian, which he accused of being a conservative paper in its, in its foreign policy coverage. <laughs> the Guardian. Yeah, the Guardian. Um, this is an opinion piece that Mark Weisbrot wrote in um, November 7th, 2013. The headline is, Sorry, Venezuela haters, this economy is not the Greece of Latin America. Predicting a Venezuelan apocalypse won't make it happen. And then uh, tor- uh, towards the, um, the end is that uh, this idea that inflation inflation peaked at a monthly rate of 6.2% in May, then fell steadily to 3% in August. And it's like, it goes on to say, this this is not going to go higher. The, 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 um, the uh, inflation rate in Venezuela today is 1.1 million percent. Jeez. That's true. That's that's the number that I don't even think Mark Weisbrot would deny. So Mark Weisbrot, who said that none of this would happen in 2013, um, you know, it's, 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 who knows? It's because of sanctions or God. Hyperinflation is also a very remote possibility. That's the line from this piece. You know, I mean, hyperinflation is a very remote possibility. It was happening then. It continued to happen. And it's now at one, two, one point, whatever million percent it is now. And so these people are professionally wrong and there's no punishment or penalty for being wrong. So, and not in journalism anyway. Right. That's why we all still have jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been publicly wrong about anything. Sorry, I'm talking to you. For the record. No, it's kind of good. Not at all. You know? Yeah. It's no, fine. this is fine. I mean, exactly. I, honestly, like, you know. It's it, fine it, and kind of good. I sensed your discomfort at parts of the uh, of the special dispatch. So um, it's, it's it, I think it's interesting to all of us to hear the postmortem of the things that you would have liked to have addressed and, and things the that. Esprit de Scalier. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just like there's also. I mean, you have to figure, I mean, I, I'm not known for being light on people. Or <laughs> no, yeah. and, and it's just that, that this was an experiment, which I think we got a pretty decent response to. No, the response allowing, has been overwhelmingly good. Yeah. Allowing yeah. people to talk and challenging them when I couldn't fucking take it anymore, but allowing that. Cause if, if you challenge somebody who lives on Pluto, about everything. It's like debating a Scientologist. It's like, look, I think Xenu is fake. Just keep talking. You make zero progress. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to invade, uh, you know, debate your Thetan level because it's, bullshit. this is, this is also something that comes up when, uh, those of us, uh, go on 
TV, especially on panel shows, mm-hmm. it's us and four other people. Right. And this could be Bill Maher, this could be MSNBC or, you know, Kennedy show, which is more friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, people get really wrapped up and they imagine their ideal selves sitting in our shoes uh-huh. hmm. and smiting down every single shitty argument that happens around the table. It's My true. God, it's why didn't even doing it here? Why didn't you address yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Why, yes. yeah, in, in, 40, in 42 seconds. And like, <laughs> I get it. And, 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 and actually I, I like that feedback because it, it tells me like, what were the pressure points that I could have intervened and didn't mm-hmm. and maybe should have thought about or whatever. It's just like, you know, you want that, that kind of feedback, but for listeners out there, also keep in mind that we're dealing in a format, you know, it could be that we're on for six minutes. The host talks for one fifteen to set it up. We each get about 45 seconds on, on average or something like that. And like you have to pick your spots. Mm-hmm. You absolutely do. And and this is an art form. It's There's no science to it at all of trying to figure out when do you jump in? When do you not jump in? Um, the biggest sort of like a mind fuck on this is, is going on Bill Maher because you're also doing this in front of a studio audience. There's 400 people howling for your blood, depending on what the yeah. subject yeah, you is. You usually cast as the bad guy. You usually cast the bad guy. Yeah. And so like, and you're going to hear around you, starting with Bill, who I enjoy, um, but starting with that, like, like so many things that are wrong. Everyone around you is going to say stuff that you're like, nope, nope, that's not, nope, nope, nope. And so you have to figure out when to pick your spots. And this is not an excuse, certainly of Michael. Yeah, 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 Wait, yeah, he, yeah, his glasses yeah. off, Moynihan. Yeah. Certainly not Moynihan. <laughs> uh, but like, that's always the thing. Like you have to try to figure out how to fill the space uh, or, you know, how to, to best take advantage of your 45 seconds or your minute 30. And, uh, and it's hard and weird. It's an yeah. interesting choice, especially when you're outnumbered, which we all tend to be, I think. Hard and weird. Uh, gonna, can I, can I just say something podcast. that's totally, um, I, I was like laughing about it. I just looked at Twitter. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> fucking oh, no. Up. What happened? Uh, someone follows me, made a very funny joke. I posted a photo from that New York magazine, uh, article of a woman who's featured as one of the people. Um, and there's a portrait <laughs> of her with pulling down her shirt with two of her sort of partially exposed breasts. And both of them have hammers and sickles on them, one on each. And, um, uh, with the star, with the star. And I made a joke about regrettable Brooklyn tattoos of having the, t- the you know, the, dictatorship thing if i was brave i would have made the joke that somebody uh <laughs> made uh it's somebody said and i'm quoting from memory maybe it means she's perpetually out of milk <laughs> oh, it's wow. ama- that's i know that's so complicated but you know what's so oh. weird that's a, this is a soviet joke it's a central planning joke it's a dirty joke there's a lot yeah. going on there that is very funny it could almost be a new segment some genius wrote this <laughs> so, whoever wrote that and by the way, I didn't like it because we're doing the show now. And I didn't know if it was like somebody who was like, you know, Hitler 88. Uh, you know, so you want to make sure you have to look, make sure you before you oh, like yes. things. Oh, yeah. Watch the photos. Yeah. It's a pretty good joke, though. That I, I, is very strong. I, I, I'm like, fuck, I just, I feel like I've totally shown up. I should have made that joke. So I feel, I feel so unfunny. strong. That's really That's strong. when you slink away out of the writer's yeah, room. Yeah, I had to announce my failure right there because that's fucking good. What I love is that they wrote it in all caps. caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They wrote it in all yeah. caps. Yeah. 
You've yeah. won the internet. Yeah, that's yeah, the best. You know what? The I, I, internet. This is this is from you know you you tweet very rarely, but you pick, <laughs> you, you pick your spots. <laughs> I pick my yes. spots, and, and I think that actually you are rewarded with good replies. <laughs> I guess a good reply. <laughs> yeah, I used to tweet all the time, and then and then wow. 2018 and 19 happened, and I decided to uh, to put that on on hold. And maybe I think that every tweet goes um, sits there for about eight hours before I actually press send on it because I don't want to wow. get myself canceled. Um, but then again, there's the show. <laughs> so, well, yeah. we've, we've gone pretty hard today. I yeah. mean, do, do, how do we tie this off here? I, I've got a somebody that wrote this and I'm do sure it. everybody would co-sign this, uh, be, as, as previously don't mentioned. Me. Don't speak for me, white man. Uh, <laughs> I don't identify, <laughs> I don't identify as white. Ginger, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You, you would. Sure. Yeah. It's your privilege. That's right. <laughs> Go for it. All right. Uh, so as, as previously mentioned, approximately the 30th anniversary of the Salman Rushdie fatwa ah. and for you kids. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, so, uh, one of the things I tweeted, actually, yes. yeah. For those who don't recall, Salman Rushdie, great novelist, born in India, but uh, basically a British citizen, uh, wrote a book called The Satanic Verses. Then Ayatollah Khomeini issued a fatwa, a global fatwa, with a financial reward uh, for the head of Salman Rushdie for defaming Islam. Like the literal head. Yeah, literally, literally the head. And, and Salman Rushdie lived in hiding for more than a decade. The, the fatwa is still in effect as the current Ayatollah Khomeini uh, recently tweeted. So in The Independent, which we all know is a pretty terrible outlet, a staffer, this isn't even a freelancer, uh, Sean O'Grady uh, wrote a very brief review of the documentary that you were talking about. Uh, yeah. not, not, not the Satanic Verses, because he admits he hasn't read the Satanic no. Verses. Because it sounds boring. Yeah, that's a quote. <laughs> that's a quote. All right, I'm fucking read it. So, so in, but he, but he, Ulsterman. Uh, after reading, the uh, satanic uh, verses sounds boring. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying pretty, to imagine uh, like a better title for anything. I mean, it's like pretty simple. It wasn't nearly as metal as the title. Yeah, no, that was the problem. But so, it doesn't sound boring. So, so the, the the documentary, the BBC documentary, is the Satanic Verses, thirty years on, and early in this very short review, uh, Sean O'Grady says this was an ugly and traumatic affair for all concerned. No, I think it was ugly and traumatic for maybe one, one person, person. One person. <laughs> and the people that were around them. The guys in that documentary who were like, "I burned the effigy, <laughs> and then I went home and watched the American Idol for six years." <laughs> that guy was fine. Yeah. Salman Rushdie, whose life re, yeah, re, was turned upside. Down was Read, not fine. translators were killed. One was murdered and one was shot and wounded in, in Japan and Norway. Yeah. So yeah. Salman, uh, I highly recommend uh, Salman Rushdie's uh, memoir of this period in his Terrific. life, Joseph Anton. And mm -hmm. I highly uh, recommend my review of it in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, to, 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 to get to, to get to the money <laughs> to get to the money shot, uh, <laughs> yeah. The the kicker in this ridiculous half-assed review is quote Rushdie's silly childish book should be banned under today's anti-hate legislation. Legislation. It's no better than racist graffiti on a bus stop. I wouldn't have it in my house out of respect to Muslim people and contempt for Rushdie and because it sounds quite boring. I'd be quite inclined to burn it. In fact, it's a free country after all. Where to begin? This book that he calls silly and childish should be banned and he hasn't read it. Yes. Yes, he says that uh, uh, obliquely by saying it sounds boring. Yeah. And he doesn't say it is boring because I've read it. It sounds boring. But, you know, this is a very... Um, frightening thing to revisit. Watch the documentary because, you know, I'm trying to get uh, uh, Mr. Rushdie uh, in here to talk to me sometime soon, hopefully um, within the next couple of weeks where, where the anniversary happens. Um, 
And, you know, it's interesting because I have talked to him about this. It's a, it's an interest of mine. And, um, I've been obsessed with this for a long time, but I didn't re it really was jarring to go back and see this archival footage that I hadn't really seen in a long time. And one of a, of a march in Tehran of people with all, I mean, tens of thousands of people, all of whom have caricatures of Rushdie. Um, with things xed out and setting them on fire, uh, yeah, hundreds of thousands of them, you know, I mean, to think what that does to somebody that they have to go into hiding and, and to deal with it as well as some Salman Rushdie has dealt with it is pretty impressive. Um, and people, he got a lot of trouble from people that would, you would think that would be on his own side. And that's when the the cracks really started to show, right? Was was the Rushdie affair was a big one. He was almost canceled for his time. He was almost canceled for his time. People like John Le Carre, who 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 denounced him at the time, and there were a number of people um, that denounced him and denounced him um, um, recently too. In the sense that um, he was supporting Charlie Hebdo, of course, and uh, really running that campaign uh, for Penn uh, to honor the people of Charlie Hebdo that a lot of people are trying to quote unquote cancel 200. Yeah. 200 plus people. And he lost friends. Um, he lost the number of, um, real friends, uh, in that, and he will not talk to them again. And I mean, hopefully in covenant, we can talk about that. I don't know if that's, you know, something he wants to talk about, but there are people on that, that he reached out to privately and they said, Nope, sorry, we don't, we don't agree with hate speech. I was in, uh, I was in college when this thing came out. I think it's 89, right? You said yes, uh, uh, so like yeah. it's before just before I'm leaving uh, the college atmosphere and um, and it was so striking. I'll never forget this at the time it had a little bit of a, of a overlap with kind of the, the way that people talked about the Dixie Chicks. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. During the time yeah. of uh, George W. Bush, who they went. In London and said, it was the overseas thing, yeah, and said while overseas that they're embarrassed of their president at a time of war, um, uh, embarrassed that he was from Texas because they're from Texas, right? And so, um, this led to including from a lot of people who normally self describe themselves, which is redundant, self thank you, um, as uh, as you know, free speech champions, whatever, like suddenly everyone was concerned about how. The last CD by the Dixie Chicks wasn't very good. Like, yeah, that, that's a weird thing. It was the same that's thing. That's a weird thing. It was the same thing in the Muhammad cartoons. They were bad cartoons. The bad cartoons. Yeah. That is exactly the script that happened instinct. with, with uh, the satanic verses. Like, suddenly, everyone was really interested in kind of experimental but still kind of mainstream uh, fiction. Um, really? Yeah. You weren't talking about that genre at all in any of your public statements and writings over the past, I don't know, five to 10 years. Yeah. And suddenly you're a huge critic of this right now. People were motivated to be a literary critic uh, in ways that they just weren't before. Um, and it's the it's a, a, a similar thing to like, oh, let's, you know, let's burn the thing that sounds bad. Um what a terrifying instinct. Like, oh, my God, someone's at the center of a free speech debate. Let's go look at the root thing and talk about our artistic differences with it. Mm. Um, that's not the right impulse. It's a fake impulse. I mean, it's it's a way of attacking it without seeing like a, seeming like a Philistine. And people try to do this all the time. And what you see, I think the Rushdie affair, uh, Kenan Malik wrote a great book about, about the Rushdie affair, a history of the Rushdie affair, which is very, very good. And I recommend everybody read. Um, but, uh, it's called From Fatwa to Jihad. 
um, which is terrific. It really, really is good. And he's um, of uh, Indian or Pakistani background. He's British, but I think that's his background. But um, what you know, you see how quickly those lines were drawn. And the way people debased themselves and humiliated themselves, because they were the it was the very very beginning of this idea that I want to be on the side of the oppressed, primarily because the National Front took advantage of it in England, and they had marches too about you know support you know saying that you know these these fucking packies we warned you, warned you about look at them they hate democracy whatever. And they were scumbags, and they were wrong too, and they were racist. And so that that, that a lot of people lined up with on the other side, because, you know, the smartest people in the world can sometimes have the most binary views of an issue of like, well, I want to be on the other side because those guys are on that side. And we see that a lot with now, you know, 1963, Mario Salvi and the, the, the Berkeley free speech movement, you know, free speech being on campus being a left wing idea. And you talk about free speech on campus now and people say, oh, that's just the right wing, right wing idea. And, and these things shift because Nobody wants to be on the side of Milo or standing in the same corner as him. And that's the ACLU kind of issue is that where the ACLU has gone wrong, and you see this with California ACLU, of this split amongst the younger generation of ACLU people that do not want to go out there and support um, Nazis at Skokie because they don't want to be on the same side as those people. And they don't believe in the, the, the sort of overarching principle, especially after Charlottesville. And they've made this very, 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 very clear. Whereas I think there's certain a generational thing, whereas I want to stand on the side of a lot of people who I disagree with. And as a matter of fact, Salman Rushdie, um, who I really like as a person, and I think he's a brilliant guy. He, I like some of his novels, some of them I don't like, because he, he's you know, stylistically different from what I usually like. He wrote a book called Jaguar Smile, which was, I think, a very, very bad book about Nicaragua um, during the, the Nicaragua conflict. It doesn't matter to me, because he's a good guy, um, he's a brilliant guy, and his politics don't interest me. What interests me is that a novelist like Salman Rushdie can live a free productive life without the threat from psychopaths of delivering his head to Tehran for, for a reward. And a lot of people in this country and a lot of people in Europe and a lot of people in England really did not do well in that, in that, um, in that test. And many, many of them, many of them failed and, and, and shockingly more failing today than I would have, would have ever expected. So. It's weird where you were going with that. I was like, yeah, yeah, it's a strong note to go out on. It's actually, it turned in a very sad direction. Yeah, yeah. Sorry that it just, so. that, that it, uh, that, you know, we didn't learn anything from that. And, we, and if we learned anything, <clears throat> we learned the, the wrong lessons. So I hope to get uh, Rushdie in here and I would like to read him some passages from his uh, memoir, which if anyone picked up on today, uh, he, uh, Rushdie's very well liked amongst, um, liberals still. They, they just don't want to talk about that stuff. Um, he has some pretty harsh things to say about Islam in the book, um, because he's an equal opportunity hater of religions. Mm. Um, and he is, um, a friend of mine's, uh, godfather and signed, uh, his last book, uh, to, to her, uh, saying, um, you know, best wishes, your un-godfather. Hmm. And he demands that much of an atheist that he can't even call himself a godfather. So, yeah. Yeah. Judging by his Twitter feed, he's a Yankee fan. And Salmon, Huge Yankee fan. Salmon, I'd love to take you to a game. Yeah, he's a big, <laughs> he's, got, he's got better seats than you. I was just going to say, no doubt. No doubt. He's, but, but he's I'm, not going to come sit in the nose with yeah, you. I, I, I sit in the bleachers, <laughs> yeah. okay, which are on and ground like level. Fish. Yeah. fish is going to take you to the okay. bodega. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, Salmon Rushdie at the bodega would be a, a true joyful moment of my life that I would treasure yeah. and I would not Among tweet I would, and I would not tweet about no these are these are lovely people ask Matt another time but uh, the offer stands okay All right. I'll pitch that <laughs> ah, pitch I see what you did there bye bye, bye. bye.
we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.